I want to welcome Mike Sinisi, who's technically his last day at Make is today. And uh, he has been here close to nine years, been the executive editor of Make Magazine. And uh, let's see, he said he came in at this issue. That's right. Board's issue. And the first full issue he worked on was drones. Yeah. Right. Yep. And not the last issue, but the last issue we have in print right now is issue 80. That Those were 36 and 37 that I showed you. And this is 80 and we'll talk about 81, but right. that's a span of a, a lot of issues. I can't do the math, myself, but um, 45 issues, 45 issues. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I'm really proud about that. Uh, it's hard to realize that it, I did a lot. This is, it's been a good run. Definitely has. And Mike had, for those of you who don't know, he had worked at ReadyMate magazine. He worked at Wired and there was an editorial change there and became available as we say, I'd say. And uh, so you came to work with us. It's been a really nice run. Tell people, what is it you had to, what, what is it you do? in that position as editor. And this is like the thing that has made this job just a, such a dream. Really, in a nutshell, what I do is I find people that are working on really cool projects and I help tell their story or I help them give, I give them a, a place where they can tell their story and, and just amplify so many amazing things that are happening. And so such a, the, the makerspace is such a creative and incredible community. Just so inspiring. It's never been hard. It's, there's just so much to find. In fact, the hardest part is how there's, there are so many great things that are happening and just to, to figure out how to give everybody the opportunity to tell their story. But that's, if I boil it down, I, I, that's how I've always looked at what I get to do. And it's been awesome. Yeah. And a part of it is that tell it in a visual fashion using their images, showing people how someone else did something. But also, the, I think the thing, that's what I've always been happy is start with a project, but through that process, you get to know the maker and who they are and what they do and why yeah. they do things. And, and they're all different. All yeah. Fun. Yeah. And I think one of the, one of the fun things about working with Make and working with you specifically at Make is that the focus has not always been just like what's the project and the other parts become just not part of the story the person the personality the reason that this project came to be that becomes a big part of what what we tell and and it makes it really interesting and and that's always it, it, it i i identified that was a a real big area of interest for you pretty early on in my time with make and it's been a good guide for me because i think that it's helped make things fun and it, obviously you've been involved in Maker Fair as well over the years and another opportunity to get to see these people that, and what they're doing and, and see things you hadn't seen before that they were doing. And, and so I guess looking at from the Maker Fair side of things, I could talk about Maker Fair for the, for a full hour and just get started. <laughs> but I was at the first Maker Fair with ReadyMade, which you just mentioned. We had a booth there and it was just such a, it was such a big experience. And it was the first one just to walk around and go like, how is this the first time this has ever happened? But it's giant and everything feels so exciting and, and well-produced. It just kept going and going. And it only got bigger from there. That first Maker Fair was a small size compared to you know what some of the later flagship fairs were like. Yeah. But then to go from there and to be able to see the New York fairs or the fairs 
in various parts of the United States, and then later to get to go to some of these international fairs. So the first one that we went to together was Rome, and that was in 2014. And that was actually, that was a really special moment for me because I, to get invited to, to join you and Sherry and some of the team and Nancy was there, um, you know, I felt like, you know, thank you. Well, thanks again. I'll say it seven years later, <laughs> it's seven and a half years later, but thanks for, for, for letting me come along to that and getting to see the sort of the way that the maker community represents itself on the other side of the planet in these other communities, these other, these other locations that have, some of them have hundreds of years of history in, you know, that kind of represent, representing, making in some sort. And yeah, you know, really cool. The enthusiasm of the Italian makers is incredible. So yeah. It's great to hear. Any particular issues stand out for you? Issues of the magazine? Well, yeah, of course. No, the one that I will really selfishly that I'll, I'll say was the, the hack your food issue of make. And there's a specific reason for that because this was, uh, this was, it's about six years ago that we did this issue. My wife and I, we just bought our first house of so an exciting moment. And one of the things that I wanted to do was to, to build a little pizza oven in the backyard. And I brought it to the team as, Hey, if we're going to do this food issue, I could put together a step-by-step -step on this way to make a pretty pretty simple, but totally effective pizza oven. And it's a much faster build than the, the multi-month, the domed, cement, multi-layer pizza ovens that a lot of people get into. And we had, and so we said, okay. And then we had a few different options we were looking at for cover options, but that one ended up being the one that stood out the best. Then I took photography of it in the backyard and those photos got used for the cover. And so that in itself was really pretty cool, but the cooler part of it was at the same time, my dad, who's an avid model railroader and his model railroading, um, his model railroading endeavors got him into magazines, which got me interested in participating in magazines at an earlier age, which then led to this career that I'm on now. At that time, at the same time, he had, he had an article going into one of the model railroad magazines and it was, he was taking photos of a railroad that he built in his house that made it onto the cover of that magazine. And so that summer on the newsstands, there were two magazines, one with, uh, with, of my dad's model railroad of a, a railroad that he built and photos that he took. And at the same time, my magazine cover of a pizza oven that I built in my yard with photos that I took of it. And I've got a photo of them side by side. It was just a really, a very special moment for me that my dad and I got to do this kind of thing at the same time. And, and it just, it's always going to mean a lot to me, that one. That's great. That's a good memory. I'd like to see that photo. The, what do you think a magazine's role is today? You've worked on several of them. It's been old form that people might look at it, but I've always felt though that people still enjoy magazines, yeah. even though the business has changed around them. Yeah. And we get that feedback from makers who get the magazine. Yeah. The death of print has been predicted for a long time and maybe I'm biased. I work in it and it's, this is what's, you know, allowed me to help my family be the family that we are, but I don't see it going away. I think that magazines, physical magazines give some, give people something that they can hold on to that allow them to feel like they are part of something. And 
you know, if that is cooking or if it's traveling or if it's surfers journal, if it's model railroading, you are a member of something, even in a, this unofficial way, because you have this thing that you can hold in your hands and you can flip through the pages of, and you can associate with the different stories and the different people involved in it. I think that's, it's a really powerful thing. I think that there, there's a reason that they still exist in that, you know, that it's 2022 and that this, the death of print has yet to come. I know that the business elements of it are really different than they used to be. We don't see as many cover to cover advertised driven magazines like we did, you know, before. And, but I think that there's still so much support for print magazines, especially on the subscription side by these groups of people that they all, they want to show their allegiance to something like making and being a part of it. That's how, that's how they give themselves that feeling. Yeah. And to stay connected to yeah, community. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You could do it certainly online. Um, it is a different kind of experience that we always felt like the magazine that yeah. we hear. There's some just great notes and letters we've gotten from people to say how they sit down with the magazine, spend hours with it. Because it's almost like a fantasy. If I had the time, I would do this. I would do that. And then sometimes you actually do it. Absolutely. And that was something, I don't know how many people made the projects right. in ReadyMade. And I don't know how many people necessarily make the projects in Make. And I was reading Make long before I worked at Make, but I liked knowing that I could make them. And reading the, reading the projects and the how-tos gave me that understanding. And I said, okay, now I'm smarter. Now I, I'm, I get it. And what's great is these are ordinary people that are building stuff, right? Yes. We're not out there, hey, we've got the experts or we've got these PhD engineers or something or big companies doing this. It's just yeah. often it's one or two people doing it. Yeah. I think that's great. It, it really is. And that's it's funny to connect to our bingo game yesterday. A lot of times I'll be up at 4 a.m. peeking at Twitter, and I'll, but I'll find, I'll see something that somebody's made or posted online and I'll send them a quick note and say, hey, this is awesome. I, I work with Make to talk to you about putting this into the issue. And there's always a lot of enthusiasm about it, but there's also a lot of times people go, oh, no, you got the wrong guy. I'm just like a regular person. And then there's this sort of this idea that only the writers and the project makers, they have to be these. Yeah. And, and they don't, they're not. Like it is, you're right. It's just like, you know, it's right. I think that's was the inspiration for Maker Fair too, is that these are just interesting people. Yeah. They're your neighbors. There's people yeah. that live near you that. You just don't know they do this and they've never told you the story behind it. It really is fascinating. You, you just finished up the very next issue of Make, and I think it's a really exciting issue, but I'll let you reveal it. Yeah, absolutely. So our, our upcoming issue, volume 81, it's titled Robot Rumble, and it's a deep dive into the look at the whole battle bots, robo games, combat robots world. And then also within that, the concept of competition robotics, who are some of the, who are some of the big players, some of the emerging groups and leagues that are happening. How do you get involved? What are the best kits that you might want to get started with? We've got a project on building your first bot, some uh, really nice piece on the, uh, the rule set that you should follow if you want to have some success in your competitions. Uh, a lot of good stuff. So we did really focus on, hey, this is something anybody could do. Even some of those really large robots that you see on TV, maybe you can't do those, but you could do these. So you could get started. And yeah. a couple of kids in the garage could build an arena, each build a bot and have, gosh, a lot of fun. Just yeah. like little slot car racing and things. It just, mm -hmm. It's really accessible for that. It is. And it's, it's cool. 
a lot of the people that contributed stories all started their story saying it all began in the early 2000s when I used to watch BattleBots. Everybody, it comes back to that because that's been, that was the, and still is like the, the biggest entry point for people to see this and to get excited about it. But those BattleBot robots, 250 pounds, 220 pounds, 250 pounds, they're costing tens of thousands of dollars minimum. And there's only a few places that you can take those to actually do a big, a big competition with them. But there are a lot of different leagues around the country and international where you can do robot competition with these smaller robots. And one of the reviewer or one of the, uh, one of the articles really recommends that you get started with either one pound robots or three pound robots. And the nice thing with that is that it's a lot easier to set up a competition. There's a, a lot of these leagues, they have the right size arena, they've got the, the right size services so that you can, you can do, you can participate in this and, and do it pretty actively. And one of them, the Norwalk Havoc Robot League. And the thing that was fun with that is halfway through working on this issue, everybody went quiet because they had all traveled to Connecticut to enter that, the robot competitions for that weekend. And then we had to wait a few days because everyone was then traveling back from Connecticut to say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm on the road right now. And I'm like, oh, that's right. You're on the road. Like they're not even talking about it. Like, oh, I was at Norwalk, but just, yeah, I was on the road. There's a lot of places that people think you could build a robot for a couple hundred bucks and then go and participate in it. And I remember the tip that came from several of our authors was your robot's going to get destroyed basically. Yeah. And <laughs> as good as you are at building that robot that you show up with, your ability to survive really depends on how well you can improve it, repair it, um, yeah. fix it, whatever it is that because it gets battered during the fights and you have to figure out, what do I got to repair that with? Do I have an extra wheel? Do I have this or that? Which I think it's a cool thing. It's maybe old race cars they used to break down during the race. Yeah. They had to like get them back out of the track the best they can. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of the, the, like the uh, remote control car stuff that was pretty popular. And, and at least when I was a kid in the eighties, it was something that my dad and I got into for a while. We would go to the hobby stores and he'd be looking at the trains and I, uh, my attention started getting attracted to the, to the, to the RC car stuff. And so we built some kits together and then a few times we would go to some of the race, the races that would happen at a dirt track behind the hobby shop somewhere. And it was fun. I, I was a little kid and was terrible at racing because I didn't, you don't really know the rules, but, or, or like the sort of the right way to just get a consistent lap around a different shaped track. But I'd have people coming by and showing me, oh, try this next time. And it would be the person I'd be racing against. It should do this next time, go a little bit wider on that at turn and come to come in here. And I'm, I'm 11 years old and it was really nice. And that was also a big part of what a lot of the different articles and, and, and writers were talking about in this issue is bigger than maybe the, the competition aspect itself. It's again, it's the community part. It's just they, they're the best friends that they've ever made are the people that they're trying to smash their robots. And then they come back and they sit together and they fix them together and they help each other out. And then they get back out there and try to smash the snot out of each other again. It's fun, really fun. Are you comfortable talking about where you're going? Sure. Yeah. I'm going to be moving from Make over to Edge Impulse, which is an AI startup really focused on technology tool to help put uh, machine learning onto edge-based devices. Imagine doing keyword uh, 
keyword notification type stuff on Arduinos and object detection, visual object detection on Raspberry Pi type stuff. And I'll be heading the content initiatives there. So it should be interesting. It'd be a, a, a new experience. I, I want to thank you for all of us at Make and on behalf of our readers and everything, all the work you've done here. We'll definitely miss you. We're, we're proud of you and the work you've done here. It is a kind of graduation in a way rather than a, a leaving. I yeah, think you're going you. out to do great things and we'll stay in touch. Plan on being in close contact with you. And, and I will say real quick uh, that I wanted to just want to say thanks to everybody that I've gotten to work with over the last nine, almost nine years now. Yeah. You know, there's been a lot of people that have been part of this and especially my team, Keith and Julianne, Craig and Caleb, it's been just awesome to work with them. I'm putting together all these issues of make the maker fair team. It's been incredible. And everybody else within the company, it's just, there's so many people that we've seen and, and just stories. It's funny because a lot happens in nine years and, you know, we've seen a lot of things that I just, you know, you don't really realize when you're going into a job that it's going to be a life and kids will be born. I had my kid, you had here. Yeah. And it, it's been this, like this roller coaster. It's this amazing, incredible roller coaster experience. And it's really a dream. Really. It's funny. Like just, it's, I feel like it was two weeks ago that I was, I went to, I was in Detroit for a Ford event and I, I sent you a note and said, okay, let's do this. And then from Detroit, I went down to Kansas City and you said, oh, if you're going to be close by, like Kansas City's having its maker fair. And I sat down at, at the bleachers in front of the first, they had a first robotics exhibit at the Kansas City inside, inside the train station there. And I typed out on my phone a tweet saying, it's a dream come true. On Monday, I'm starting as executive editor for Make. And it feels like I wrote that two weeks ago. It's just crazy that, yeah. I got a gray beard now. Like it's, the, it's, it's so weird, but well, let's end it there. It's uh, wonderful working with you for, for that time. And uh, I look forward to seeing Massimo grow up as well. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dale. Thanks for everything.